Blow winds and crouch thy cheeks. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for tragic heroes. Don't leave me. I escaped. Must warn. Must tell. See Dumbledore. My fault. Oh, my fault. Bertha. Dead. All my fault. My son. My fault. Tell Dumbledore. Harry Potter. The Dark Lord. Stronger. Harry Potter. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And for those of you keeping score at home, that is a King Lear reference, which is significantly older than Alex's references in general, but also, thank God, not an 80s movie. So There was probably an adaptation in the 80s. I mean, as soon as an actor with a British accent gets kind of salt and peppered, he's going to be, he's asked to play King Lear, (laughs) so I'm sure there was. Gary Oldman certainly is playing Lear somewhere. Welcome to the Quibbler. That's true. Gary, oh, Gary Oldman would be a good Lear. Mm Mm-hmm. After Sirius. Sirius as Lear. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. You're listening to the Quibbler. Hi. This week, we are reading two chapters from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. They are Padfoot Returns and The Madness of Mr. Crouch. So before we get underway we wanted to say a quick sorry and give a little bit of context a listener pointed out to us that we made a comment about adjunct professors and Hagrid being such an adjunct and that that was really obnoxious because obviously being an adjunct as we know and as this person pointed out has nothing to do with your quality as an instructor or as a scholar and everything to do with age and length of time teaching and the fact that it's really, really, really hard to get a job in academia. There is one way Hagrid is like an adjunct, though, in that he seems to receive no pay and is completely unsupported by the institution, despite the fact that the school completely depends on him for its day-to-day operations. Yeah, so underpaid, overworked is, I think, a fair comparison to the life of an adjunct, but... (laughs) We definitely didn't mean to say anything about the quality of those instructors. We would have been wrong if we had meant that, and we were wrong to be so flip about it. So we're sorry, all you adjuncts out there. I think we have a fair number of listeners who are academics, actually. So y'all are like holding this system down, and we know it. You will hear in this podcast, hopefully less insensitive remarks than last time. We're, again, sorry. You will hear cursing, and depending on how you feel about the insensitivity of spoilers, that might be a problem, because I actually think there are going to be a lot this episode, because we're talking about Mr. Crouch, and there are some big spoilers in his story. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are hate mail, gold diggers, binge drinking, the prison industrial complex, and creeping authoritarianism. Alex. What happened this week? A lot happened this week, but these summaries have been getting really out of control, so I'm going to try to actually summarize. I believe in you. Let's get after it. (laughs) Okay, so the second task is over, but the gang doesn't have time to relax because Rita Skeeter's new story has just hit the newsstand, and it's all about how Hermione Granger is two-time in Harry with Victor Crumb. She's Jezebel, and... Yeah, there's a story in Witch Weekly about this kind of imagined love triangle between Harry, Victor, and Hermione. So, titter, 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 Snape reads it out loud in class, and then off to the side accuses Harry of stealing gillyweed from his private stores, which Harry did not do, but he doesn't know that Dobby didn't do it. Um, so Snape is snaping... The trio visit Sirius in his man cave outside of, I guess, sort of a man-dog cave, doggo cave. Awesome. Uh, They visit, the gang visits Sirius in his doggo cave outside of Hogsmeade. They bring him a lot of chicken legs and pumpkin juice because he's super hungry. He's been living off rats, posing as a lovable stray. Harry tells Sirius about seeing Barty Crouch on the map. Sirius fills in a little backstory on Barty Crouch. Turns out he was way high up in the ministry, 
and kind of came to prominence using ruthless tactics against Dark Art supporters to fight back against Voldemort. So Barty Crouch is like the Dick Cheney of the Wizarding World. So Barty went like Neocon or whatever and... uh <laughs> Harder core than that. Yeah. I mean, in reality, Barty goes, like, hardcore right authoritarian. Like Judge Dredd or yeah. something. More like... Oh, man. This is where the recap could go off the rails because a lot happens there. Yeah, Barty... But Barty had a son who, after the fall of Voldemort, was caught with some Death Eaters. And Barty freaked out and had him thrown into Azkaban, although he got a trial, unlike Sirius Black, who did not get a trial, we learn. Barty gave the order to send Sirius Black to Azkaban without a trial, which may have found Sirius innocent, because there- He was. He, yeah, because he was. Anyway, so the plot thickens. Barty Crouch Jr. died in Azkaban, so far as anyone knows. That's yes. another thing we learned, that he died of starvation and that his father- last saw him in, his father and mother last saw him in Azkaban and then didn't even come to his burial. And he was buried in like an unmarked grave by the Dementors, which horrifying. Chilling. So that's a thing Sirius saw and is now completely mentally healthy. The trio visit Winky in the kitchens to get some information out of her about Barty Sr. They think she might know something as uh, his former house elf. Winky has developed a substance abuse problem since we last saw her. She's been hitting the butterbeer really hard. Apparently, there's trace amounts of alcohol in it or something because it really gets house elves fucked up. Winky says nothing. She says, I keep my master's secrets. Hermione gives a rousing speech to the house elves that they should all demand equal rights and wages and... They are like, you're a pinko kami, please leave our food palace. And Dobby's like, leave me out of this, please. Uh, I'm a total centrist. Dobby is a centrist. <laughs> Dobby's like, uh, I'm not that political. I just like socks. Please, <laughs> please don't include me in this. Hermione gets hate mail because of the Rita Skeeter scoop, including... An envelope filled with bubo tuber pus, undiluted bubo tuber pus, which gave her terrible boils on her hands. They send a letter to Percy asking what's up with Mr. Crouch. He responds in very Percy-like fashion. He's like, Mr. Crouch is just super sick, and I haven't seen him, but I have everything under control. Please leave me alone. I'm super important. Hagrid teaches a pretty cool Care of Magical Creatures class for once with Nifflers, which are these gold-digging platypus things. Are they like platypi? I don't know. We that's don't actually they look get... Like in, that's how they look in the movies, but... I don't know what they look like. I, they're just a little... They're, they're like... Fun little burrowing They're fellas. like gold voles or something. Gold voles is what they are. Know? Yeah, that's um, good. So Hagrid does his bit to revive the mining industry. Um... The champions are summoned to the Quidditch field, which is being converted into a hedge maze for the final task. Crumb pulls Harry aside and says, can I have a word, please? Uh, I can't really do the Crumb accent. Try. <laughs> Why not? I want to see you uh, by the forest, Harry Potter. That was French. Oh, I I, I can't do this. <laughs> Fine. Crumb's like, what are your intentions with Hermione? Harry's like, this is what you wanted to talk to me about? Bro, there's nothing going on. Mr. Crouch then busts out of the forest doing his best King Lear impression. He's like all cut up and crazy looking. And he is alternately giving instructions to Percy and saying, Voldemort's coming stronger. What have I done? I have to see Dumbledore right now. Bertha Jorkins is dead. I've done a terrible thing. Fuck. Percy, please give me some tea. <laughs> he, he calls him Weatherby. Weatherby. Weatherby, please give me some tea. Harry leaves Crouch with Crumb, runs to get Dumbledore, runs into Snape, who's like, just never wants to give Harry what he wants. He's so just he's, fucking he's running like, interference. Yeah, Snape's like, you can't see Dumbledore right now. He's busy. 
But Dumbledore does emerge from his office and goes down to the forest where they find Crumb knocked out. Crumb is revived by Dumbledore. He says that Mr. Crouch attacked him from behind. Crouch is gone, by the way. Karkarov shows up. He's super fucking pissed that a Triwizard Judge seems to have attacked the Durmstrang School Champion. He says, this is what I think of you, Dumbledore, and spits on the ground. Hagrid's like, grabs him, throws him against a tree. He's like, never insult the man who basically enslaved me and pays me no money. Albus Dumbledore is the greatest man on earth. Never insult Albus Dumbledore. Dumbledore defuses the situation. Moody shows up, offering to help. Dumbledore's like, thank God this perfectly legit-seeming order is here to help me solve this problem. He tells him to go look for Mr. Crouch, and he has Hagrid take Harry back to school, and Hagrid, at this point, is going all Brexit and is like, never trust foreigners, Harry. Fuck Durmstrang. Fuck Bobatons. Britain first. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. Funny how every time something fucking bizarre happens, Moody appears as if from nowhere and just kind of like, (laughs) is like, wonder what this could have been. I didn't do it. (laughs) So also like just, this is just a little aside, but um, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. So Moody's eye can see through clothes. Pavardi does whisper to Harry during the dance that she doesn't think the eye should be allowed she's right mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there it's just like gross so how and does that look can he switch it on or off or does everyone just look naked to him all the well, time well the thing is he can probably see through skin he probably is just seeing skeletons <laughs> maybe part of the reason he's so fucked up is he's walking around just looking at people's skeletons <laughs> which is just dark someone tweeted this week have you ever thought about the fact that your skeleton is always wet ew think about that no quibblers. thanks for Oh, nothing. <laughs> um, okay, on to the matters at hand. Let's talk about this fake love triangle. I want to know, he said, glowering, what there is between you and Hermione. Th- Harry, who from Crumb's secretive manner had expected something much more serious than this, stared up at Crumb in amazement. Nothing, he said, But Crumb glowered at him, and Harry, somehow struck anew by how tall Crumb was, elaborated. We're friends. She's not my girlfriend, and she never has been. It's just that Skeeter woman making things up. Hermione talks about you very often, said Crumb, looking suspiciously at Harry. Yeah, said Harry, because we're friends. He couldn't quite believe he was having this conversation with Victor Crumb, the famous international Quidditch player. It was as though the 18-year-old Crumb thought he, Harry, was an equal, a real rival. You have never? You have not? No, said Harry very firmly. Rita Skeeter's at it again. She comes up with, like, an essentially, like, she does that fucking thing again where it's an utterly fabricated story but she's included all these details that people are like that is actually true and i said it in super serious confidence like how does she know like about victor crumb asking hermione to come stay with him in the summer which like ron flips out about she's like actually that happened but like ew how like where was she harry says maybe he has them bugged which is yeah, good foreshadowing there, JK. And little, Ron- a little unsubtle, a little on the nose, <laughs> but okay. And, and Ron is fascinated by the idea of recording devices. So It's just like magic, man. Except, like, better, more efficient and effective. <laughs> you don't have to turn into a beetle. Like, nobody risks getting smushed with just electronic Wait, recording. is that the beetle that Harry sees? In the hair? Yeah, Alex. Oh, and um, by the... Uh, Bush. The fountain, yeah, yeah when they, they're listening to she Hagrid. She describes where Rita is in both those scenes. Oh, I thought she was a fly, not a beetle. No, she's a beetle. Oh so my she's... god! Wow. I just got that. Apparently Alex is realizing for the first time that she's been seeding this revelation for many, many chapters. I was yeah. always like, well, that's random. No, he sees a oh beetle. Oh my god. And then remember Victor 
plucks a beetle out of Hermione's right. hair, which like ew. There's a water beetle in your hair, she's Hermione. In she's in Hermione's hair. That's why she says not that it needs it. Yeah. Your hair is so fucking curly, which we thought was a weird insult. But, but it's because she's she like, tried to fucking live in there. <laughs> oh, oh my, my god. god. I never got that before. Okay. She well, has personal experience with the curly hair. Yeah, she does. It's foul. Oh Christ. So anyway, now that we've had our minds blown, well, one of us has had his mind blown. What if Crumb had just smashed that beetle. That's what I'm saying. That's why electronic devices are better. Whoa. Because you can't kill them. Because they're not people. Dude. Yeah. Fucked up. Also, Victor seems like the kind of person that would kill rather than catch and release a bug. No, he's a gentle soul. Ugh, I know. Whatever. Maybe that's character development at the same time. (laughs) So anyway, we've got this bullshit. Harry and Hermione are in love. It's interesting to me that it's actually the first time that anybody has sort of like made, like cast those particular aspersions on the three of them. I don't know. Two guys and a girl spending a ton of time together. It seems like in a middle school setting, it like begs the question of like, ooh, like, do you like her? So kind of surprising that we haven't gotten this before, especially considering how famous Harry is, that Hermione has like so far avoided being like called his girlfriend. But one thing that's so fucked up about this, this is so Rita Skeeter, is it's just like really, it's kind of slut shaming. Like not slut shaming, but the idea that like if there is a situation in which like two men are like vying for the affection of the same woman it's somehow the woman's fault as opposed to the fault of the two men that think that they are somehow like destined to or like sort of deserve to have her well i mean that's that's not rolling being slut shaming it's kind of a commentary on that don't you think I guess kind of. A little bit? Yeah, no, I mean, I know. I'm saying Since it's Rita's more like about Rita. Of, yeah, okay, it's more about Rita. Well, Rita is like, she falls into those super easy media narratives, right? She's like a caricature of like... Like a gossipy... Like the bad journalist. It's weird. It also like, it shows a little bit of J.K. Rowling's like limitations on understanding the press because it's weird that she's simultaneously like a celeb columnist and like a hardcore investigative reporter. Nah, she's just versatile. Yeah, but it's not that common to be that versatile, I don't think. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of reporters in the Wizarding World. Also, there's yeah, like she's not like that many people. All of it. a sudden she writes for Witch Weekly. She's like freelancing in addition to being like the main correspondent at the Daily Prophet. It's also weird that we've never heard of her before, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. So yeah, it reminds me of like the kind of the Twilight situation, like the Edward Bella Jacob thing. I'm sorry, I'm referencing Twilight. You guys are probably going to be really disappointed in me, but whatever. That's a cultural touchstone. But you're um, Team Crumb. I am Team Crumb. Over well, there is no, no Team Harry because this triangle doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. If it existed, I would be Team Harry. You'd be Team Harry. But like that's so fucked up because it's like. Ugh. Ew, like the narrative that they're competing for a prize is just gross. They could be polyamorous. This could be like a three-way, multiple, consensual relationship, and Rita's just missing that. Okay, well, it's none of the above. No, it's not that at all. Nothing's actually happening. Well, anyway, if there were lawyers in the wizarding world, Hermione would actually have a decent libel case here, at least in the United States. I'm not sure how the press laws work in Britain, because... It's actual malice. They can prove that she has a motivation to hurt Hermione. She's acting out of... Revenge. Yeah. Spite. And it's a willful disregard of the truth. Right. She knows it's not true. She's writing it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely liable. If you write something's not true, but you didn't know it wasn't true, or you're just like stupid, that's like defensible. But she's lying and she's doing it to hurt Hermione specifically. So yes, this is literally libelous. In the U.S., I don't know about there. I think the libel, Probably. I think the libel laws are actually stronger in Britain because the U.S. has like pretty. It's like really hard to win a case against the press here. Well, yeah. So in addition to she has a case of libel, she also has a case of like fucking domestic terrorism. <laughs> People are essentially sending her anthrax. The hate mail is like really disturbing. Yeah, if you thought howlers were bad. Oh my god. Boobo tuba pus. Boobo tuba pus. Um it's foul and the worst moment is 
not in the chapters, but of this particular sequence of events, is when she gets a much smaller Easter egg from Mrs. Weasley, and you can see in Hermione's face that she is really crestfallen, and she says, Ron, does your mom happen to read Witch Weekly? And he's like, yeah, she fucking loves it. She uses their recipes. And so Mrs. Weasley is buying into this, which, like, two things. It's funny that she sends her an Easter egg at all. Like, she has, <laughs> she has like, such a sense of, like, the moral righteousness of presence that she's like, well, I can't send her nothing. I'll just send her a very small chocolate egg. Rowling loves the trope of the passive-aggressive or just, like, bitchy gift because the Dursleys always send Harry a gift. Yeah, they give him a Christmas him, like, gift. A toothpick or But like, it's like, moldy they socks. still have to fucking figure out the postage. It's so funny. Yeah, um, how do they do that? Do they just write... We cannot go down that rabbit hole. That I bet... I bet that it gets... Hogwarts? I don't know what they do, Alex. It's just Dumbledore being an asshole. Yeah. He's like, ha, ha. He's like, LOL, funny? this <laughs> is from the Dursleys. <laughs> um, it's not. But, yeah, so... <sighs> Poor Hermione, she's fucking getting slime, like poison slime in the mail. Mrs. Weasley, like her, one of the kind of like surrogate mother of the whole gang has decided that she's like a scarlet woman. Um, It's super fucked up. And then the other thing that's kind of like disturbing about this, it's not disturbing, but it's like a little much, is like Victor Crumb kind of flips out. Like the reason they see Barty Crouch is because Victor is like, really upset that like Harry might be like that like something may have like sometime happened between Harry and Hermione he's like you sure there's like nothing there ever like you never anythinged which first of all like what like kissed who knows but second of all like maybe the reason Hermione is like cooling off to him a little bit and like was kind of ignoring him at the second task is because she's like you are coming on a little strong seems a little clingy Victor's got some clinginess issues yeah and he's like it's a little it's like borderline creepy because he's 18 right yeah and she's 14 like that's a significant age difference mm-hmm. so he might she's like 17 her. okay well so that's not as bad that's like a freshman senior situation kind of but yeah crumb is like coming on a little strong this reading of it has diminished my team crumbness because yeah he's like a little much and it's just so like, ugh, like toxic masculinity to like go up to Harry and be like, what's going on with you? He's just like, I don't know, dude, like Rita Skeeter is a fucking idiot. Like, it's fine. I, also, it's none of your business. I do like that Harry finds it more like funny or like ridiculous. He's like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation right now with like the LeBron James of Quidditch. Yeah. My life is, I guess Harry wouldn't know who LeBron James is at this point point in the timeline but you know what i mean the michael jordan of quidditch and harry's just like my life is ridiculous and weird yeah also (laughs) it is a nice touch that crumb is essentially just a teen yeah like because you get this really aloof sort of like and he comes across as really adult because he is this very famous standoffish like strange guy and he seems like just above it all but no he's just a fucking sulky teen who, like, is, like, a little bit too into this 14-year-old genius. I really like the characterization of Crumb. I think it's strong. I do, too. Um, I wish that we got as much from Fleur, actually. We get a little of it in the second task. That's true. Because she's, like, blaming her. She's th- She is really cocky and proud, but she when she doesn't meet her high standards, she's still, like, hard on herself. Yeah. You know, she's, like... That's true. I, I like Fleur. I like Fleur, too. I just don't think we get as much of her character as Crumbs, but that's okay. Yeah. So Snape. Snape is the worst, as usual. He's, like, worse than worse this time around. Reading that whole story out loud, the thing that's really sad is, like, Hermione just gets caught in his, like, crossfire a lot of the time. Yeah, well, Snape is clearly still, I guess... A racist against Muggleborns, right? I don't think so. I think it's because, I think because he's the same way with Ron. I think he hates people who associate themselves with Harry. Mm. Hermione gets way more of it than Ron, at least in this book. And Well, Snape thinks he's like the smartest man on earth. So anyone who threatens that is 
in for his wrath, except yeah. for Dumbledore, who he is like game recognizes game with. Basically. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the smartest people in this world right. that we have. But so Snape but is weirdly just, threatened. There's probably some like misogyny there, like heaping helpings of it. Yeah, I mean, there's just like it's there is like a huge confluence of reasons for him to hate Hermione, but. I really think the main reason is that she's Harry's best friend and he just like he hates this whole anything that sort of like lives within the Harry universe or the James Potter universe is just like evil and anathema to him. Or he's playing a role. (sighs) I guess. Based on what we know at the end of the series. But it doesn't he doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. He doesn't he could just be sort of cold. Yeah. Well, I don't. Snape. And also, like, Hermione doesn't need to fall into it. Like, this is such a cruel scene. It makes me so sad. She is so brave this whole time. She's like, this is, like, really lame that this even, this story, like, even got published. But he's, like, the way he reads it just, like, dripping with disdain. And then he's like, well, we'd better separate you so you're not, like, given to temptation. Ew. Also, then he does something even more fucked up. Which is threatened to, like, veritaserum Harry. Do you know what this is, Potter? Snape said, his eyes glittering dangerously again. No, said Harry, with complete honesty this time. It is veritaserum, a truth potion so powerful that three drops would have you spilling your innermost secrets for this entire class to hear said Snape viciously. Now, the use of this potion is controlled by very strict ministry guidelines, but unless you watch your step, you might just find that my hand slips. He shook the crystal bottle slightly, right over your evening pumpkin juice. And then, Potter, then we'll find out whether you've been in my office or not. Harry said nothing. He turned back to his ginger roots once more, picked up his knife, and started slicing them again. He didn't like the sound of that truth potion at all, nor would he put it past Snape to slip him some. He repressed a shudder at the thought of what might come spilling out of his mouth if Snape did it. Quite apart from landing a whole lot of people in trouble, Hermione and Dobby for a start, there were all the other things he was concealing— like the fact that he was in contact with Sirius, and his insides squirmed at the thought how he felt about Cho. He tipped his ginger roots into the cauldron, too, and wondered whether he ought to take a leaf out of Moody's book and start drinking only from a private hip flask. That's a horrible threat. It's interesting to me that Verita Serum is tightly controlled by the Ministry, just in, like, just in a world-building kind of way. So we have all these restrictions on not self-incriminating and against, like, extracting confessions from people. But, I don't know, part of that is because that's not really reliable. But this is, like, a reliable way to do it. This is supposed to be, this is, like, a truth serum. So it's interesting to me that you you have this serum that can, yeah, extract the truth from someone, but... Everyone seems to understand that it would be unethical to use it, except in really narrow situations. I think part of the problem is that it's like, it's not, it's more of a saw than a scalpel. Okay. Like, you get the truth about everything. Say you've, like, committed a crime, but you've also, like, I don't know, you you just, like, have... Secrets, which all of us do. If you feed someone Veritaserum, they won't just be like, yes, I committed this crime. But they'll tell you, like, everything in their head and heart. And, like, that's such an enormous invasion of privacy. And that's why I think it's so fucked up about Snape. Is because he wants Harry to admit that he broke into his storeroom, which, like, actually isn't true this time. But he also wants to humiliate Harry by, like, Harry thinks, like, what if everybody knew what I thought about Cho? Like, What if everyone knew, like, how fucking sad I am all the time because I'm a horribly traumatized little boy and I try to keep up a, like, what if people found out about Sirius? Which, like, that's Harry's, like, most important secret, I think, at this point. Yeah. So it's, like, horrible of Snape to, like, threaten that and, like, hold that over him. Like, that's just going to make Harry, like, sick with dread. And also that he's, like, careful or my hand may slip over your pumpkin juice, like, 
it's not even going to be like a moment where you know this is happening to you. It's just like, ugh, it's in a litany of horrible Snape moments. It's a really, really like top horrible Snape moment. It disturbs me so much. That exchange is like, ooh, and it almost makes you understand why fucking Ron is just like, it's probably Snape. <laughs> but it's also hilarious that Ron is like, no, Hermione, don't you see? It's Snape. Snape sucks. And she's like, it's never Snape. Also, she's just like, not good logic, Ronald. That's just not sound thinking. Just because we hate him doesn't mean he's like the bad guy. It's never Snape. So let's talk about Barty Crouch, senior. Yeah, I guess we have to because we learn a heck of a lot about him from Sirius. Crouch's principles might have been good in the beginning, I wouldn't know. He rose quickly through the ministry, and he started ordering very harsh measures against Voldemort's supporters. The Aurors were given new powers, powers to kill rather than capture, for instance. And I wasn't the only one who was handed straight to the Dementors without trial. Crouch fought violence with violence and authorized the use of the unforgivable curses against suspects. I would say he became as ruthless and cruel as many on the dark side. He had his supporters, mind you. Plenty of people thought he was going about things the right way, and there were a lot of witches and wizards clamoring for him to take over as Minister of Magic. When Voldemort disappeared, it looked like only a matter of time until Crouch got the top job. But then something rather unfortunate happened. Sirius smiled grimly. Crouch's own son was caught with a group of Death Eaters who'd managed to talk their way out of Azkaban. Apparently they were trying to find Voldemort and return him to power. Crouch's son was caught, gasped Hermione. Yep said Sirius, throwing his chicken bone to Buckbeak, flinging himself back down on the ground beside the loaf of bread, and tearing it in half. Nasty little shock for old Barty, I'd imagine. Should have spent a bit more time at home with his family, shouldn't he? Ought to have left the office early once in a while, gotten to know his own son. Uh, obviously he suspended habeas corpus for... A lot of people, Sirius included, sent to Azkaban without a trial. Habeas corpus kind of sounds like it could be a spell. It does, actually. (laughs) Um, It does. He essentially sentences people to death, also, we uh, learned. Yes, he empowers the Aurors to... Kill, not capture. Yeah, kill, not capture, and uh, use the... Yeah, he authorizes use of the unforgivable curses. Okay, but that's not even actually what I was talking about. The Dementors kill people. Or they don't kill people, but people die in Azkaban. Yeah, so but it's, either way, either were the Dementors brought in to Azkaban during this time period, or have they always been the guards there? I don't think that. No, but I mean, that super. The timeline's not super clear. Well, regardless, like he's sending people who have not had trials to their deaths. Right. Yeah. Azkaban is essentially. It's not a like death he's. Sentence. It's not like he's suspending habeas corpus, but then putting people into like minimum security confinement. He's sentencing people to death without trials. It's crazy that wizards have... You basically get a slap on the wrist or... Or a death sentence. Yeah, or torture till death. Yeah. But we've kind of discussed that before. Well, but we didn't actually know until this chapter what it entailed. We sort of understood that the actual Dementor's kiss was essentially death. And that Azkaban itself, that people like go pretty crazy in there. I know, but there's a huge difference between going crazy and right. going so crazy. What we learn happens, this is hideous. This is like hard to even say. But like what we learn happens to prisoners in Azkaban is more often than not, they get so far removed from their human selves that they starve to death. They go so crazy that they stop eating Ugh. and they die of starvation, which is like, so supremely fucked up I actually kind of can't believe that that was even introduced into a book for children it's the worst thing yeah to drive people so mad that they forget or are unable to perform the basic needs of being a human being they get so removed from being human that they just die which what the ever-living fuck so Barty is all in for 
all of this, including right. with his kid. He's like the law and order guy or whatever um, euphemism you want to use. So, but he's doing this to Death Eaters, mostly. Not all Death Eaters, because clearly some of these people are falsely accused, including we are given to think at this point possibly his son. Mm-hmm. He was a teenager when this happened, and he was found in the company of known Death Eaters, but there was no proof that he himself had engaged in that. If anything, he had a trial so that his father could publicly show himself to be unbending in the face of these crimes, even when it was his son. He had, like, a show trial. Right. So, I mean, I guess these are the questions that go toward the heart of justice itself, like, how permissible is it when you're fighting against bad things, evil forces? Like, how far do you go? And I mean, is it okay if innocent people get caught up in that? We've decided generally as a society, as a society that that's super not okay, that's although it doesn't always work that way. not actually what we've decided I mean, as that, a society. Uh, that, technically, that, like, that, is what, that is how the law... No, it's like, not. We have the fucking Patriot Act. No, but innocent, is, we have inno- Guantanamo. Okay, but the... the the principles that the law is built on are innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Now, it doesn't work like that in practice. It doesn't even work like that in law. That's like a basic tenet that doesn't apply in like a lot of our... It's And it's always when it comes to like counterterrorism or the same thing when it comes to fighting like the quote unquote like the real bad guys. Like not like our own... Well, whatever. No, we have a... We, we don't have actual innocent until proven guilty for like just regular old criminals in this country but like yeah, or people get pulled over for a traffic stop but and uh, murdered yeah but i think i think barty crouch is one of the worst characters in the series i think barty crouch is just as bad as his son he's a little like a light side voldemort this is a really interesting development this idea that the good wizards in order to defeat Voldemort, went almost as bad. I don't think we have any evidence that Barty Crouch was ever good. I think we know that he was anti-dark arts, but I don't think that's the same as being pro-light or or good at all. We have no indication that he was ever anything but, at minimum, a kind of like proto-fascist, rule-obsessive bureaucrat. He's never been a good guy. Hmm. He's just not on Voldemort's side. And not being on the side of the, like, enemy has nothing to do with your own personal morality. Which is, I think, one of the things that J.K. Rowling is saying in this chapter is, like, you don't have to be on the dark side, for lack of a better way of putting it. You don't have to be a Death Eater to lack basic personal morality. Like, there are lots and lots and lots of different ways to be moral or immoral in the world. And, like, Barty Crouch is not... He's not a good man. Right. He's not an ethical man. He's not a compassionate or an empathetic or a loving person. And just because he's like on the opposite side of Voldemort, people like put their trust in him as like a moral arbiter, which is a huge fucking mistake. Clearly, because it's his fucking fault that Voldemort comes back. This whole plot is Barty Crouch's fault because Barty Crouch is so supremely stupid and guilty blinkered and blinkered blinkered that he sets this whole fucking thing in motion it's his fault he drives his son crazy he fucking puts him in azkaban and then he like big spoiler alert but then he comes get comes and gets him and takes him home and it's like nah dog he's he's not okay and he's 10 times worse than if he was a death eater before which it seems like he probably was but, like, in a kid way. Yeah, he was a se- child. It seems like he was probably a Death Eater, t- I mean, b- given uh, his commitment to this whole scheme. But I imagine actually- him more like Draco Malfoy. Right. Because Draco ends up coming really, really, really close to doing some truly horrible things in the series. That's a really good analogy. Because, and, and he's given a second chance. And he's given redemption. I mean, but, like, Draco almost kills... Dumbledore. Right. Like, Draco is given the ultimate Death Eater task, and he comes really fucking close to completing it. And that seems like he probably comes close to doing something way worse than whatever Barty was initially engaged in. I don't remember, because, ugh, wasn't he part of the 
group that tortured the Longbottoms, though. Allegedly. So the point being, we don't actually know if Barty Crouch Jr. started out really bad, but his dad made him the all the way worst. Like, it's totally Barty Crouch Sr.'s fault that the plot plays out the way it does. And kind of the broader criminal justice system for, like, twisting this guy. Oh, yeah, I know. But, I mean, I see Barty Crouch as, like, a a player in that. He's sort of the... It's so, like, okay, so talking about the criminal justice system, I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but I just want to linger a little more on what we learn about Azkaban. Because people starve to death. The Dementors love death. They, there's this description, and it's just bone chilling of the Dementors getting like really excited and really like amped when they can tell that a prisoner is like near his last breaths which just like what are you doing putting these people in charge of any humans I don't care what they've done this is so bad this is like there's a couple of things House elves are one of them that we've talked about that make wizarding culture as a whole pretty much irredeemable. And to me, this is one of them. They have all agreed to this. Every single fucking wizard is complicit in this bullshit. This is the worst criminal justice system I can possibly fathom. And like Arthur Weasley is complicit. Fucking all these like middle bureaucrats at the ministry. These people are all participating in a system that kills people for any crime and that relishes the deaths of those people like not only are you killing people but like presumably even in the United States and I don't think this is true in practice either but like in the states that have the death penalty you're at least supposed to treat it like a somber it's affair it's supposed to be like more in sorrow than in anger yeah and it's not all in practice in practice no like I that, think there but... are gleeful executioners in our system but they are not like an entire species or an entire creature set that loves and feasts upon and derives like deep pleasure from pain and death. I can't believe this kind of. I mean, I can because like the depravity of the wizarding world like honestly knows no bounds. What do you think they contract with the Dementors? Because I have some thoughts. What do you possibly. Yeah, what do you think? Well, so the whole ministry, all of wizarding government isn't necessarily about good governance. It's about hiding the existence of this community from muggles. And also, wizards aren't your ordinary criminals. They're really fucking powerful. They can do magic. So I guess in that sense, if you really need to keep this thing hush-hush, and you basically are trying to keep a race of super beings in check, you would need some, like badass mofo guards to keep these guys in check. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's like the best theory for why they do it this way. And it's also why all like wizarding society is really restrictive and surveillance based because to keep, I don't know how many wizards there are on earth, but like to basically keep this whole society secret, they have to like really trample on everybody's civil liberties. They do. Like they can't, you don't actually have that much freedom as a wizard because freedom would mean you could go to like the actual Sunday times, the muggle Sunday times and be like, hey, there's wizards. Like you don't have freedom of expression. It's not a free society. Like I don't think, I think we're like operating under the assumption that because it has like a sort of like democratically like reminiscent governance structure it's a democracy and it's fucking not right like it's a it's a crazy constantly warring autocracy it's not (laughs) a good government it's not a fair government and although i guess the idea that it's secret is those laws it's the statute of secrecy though so those laws were decided on democratically and it's kind of part of the secret we don't really know that secrecy is like so old that's true secrecy is also part of the the social compact i guess so in that way maybe it's not so terrible but i I don't i mean our constitution's really old and we still have to abide by those rules i know but more of those rules are about what we can do than what we can't i mean like i mean most of the amendments are about things that like we are free to do right or like the state can't do. Well, actually, it's not about what we can do. It's what the state can't do. 
Well, okay, right? like yeah. freedom of expression mm-hmm. is yeah. is a sort of yeah, it's like a double edge. But anyway, and I'm like, my God, I'm not saying the Constitution is perfect, but it is laid out to to say more about what the state can't control than what it can. Well, I guess and now I'm like kind of going back on my original thesis, which is that it's not like free at all. I guess exposing the Wizarding World would be like shouting fire in the crowded theater, like the famous supreme court example where you would endanger all of society by saying that therefore it is like right and good that that is yeah, but, restricted but um the the populace hasn't gotten to decide on that is the thing somebody made that decision for them yeah well clearly <laughs> another thing we learn is that we learn again and again is that wizarding bureaucrats have like incredible leeway over making the laws because barty crouch senior can just decide to send people to prison and arthur weasley can like write a loophole into the law to like let him tinker with his automobiles barty crouch senior has essentially carte blanche to do whatever he wants within his role as what is it department department magical law enforcement so like Oh God, he's, so he's like the he's like the attorney well, general. But you know what is what else is like fucked up about this system is it's like it's evil and draconian. It's also like dementors aren't actually good at their jobs. Like it's really badly run. Yeah, that's it's true. Like, they really, can't see. They don't have. Oh, we've said this before. See. They don't have eyes. Well, but why so would you hire prison guards that don't have eyes? A crazy thing happens that we find out about. Well, we don't find out about it in this chapter. But like I warned you at the top, there's a lot of spoilers in this. They do a fucking prisoner swap. <laughs> like, oh, no. right under the Dementors' oh, you're right. non-eyes and non-noses, they bring, like, Barty Crouch Sr. brings his dying of grief wife, which, first of all, listen to everything about this story because, oh my god, it's terrible. Barty Crouch Sr.'s wife, dying of grief because they've put the son away, he brings her with him to visit Barty Crouch Jr. They switch places mom dies of grief and he fucking like imprisons his son in the basement or whatever so like and the dementors are like do 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 we're just gonna bury whatever fucking soul we just felt blink out of existence we don't know who the fuck it is like the prison guards they have no way of accounting for who any of these people are oh and obviously there's no wizarding like supervisors on hand because they would get too freaked out by the dementors they can't have any humans there to Ah, like it's so bad because like even you know like think about cornelius fudge when he goes and visits like everybody is afraid to even be around them because the the fucking dementors could pretty easily be like Let's just kill the Minister of Magic. Like, he's here. He's, like, real robust of soul or whatever. He's not. Like, he's probably pretty thin-souled. But, you know, like, nobody is safe. But at the same time, nobody is actually, like, guarded. Like, Sirius gets away. Because you can leave. Because they can't tell he's a dog. They can't tell he's a dog. They can't see that he's a dog. It's so crazy. they don't have The Ministry is just, like, Uh... putting... And the thing that's so wow. crazy also is that Barty Crouch Sr., who, like, I think you're right, doesn't devise this whole system, but, like, definitely props up this whole system, is, like, next in line to be Minister of Magic until a fucking personal scandal. Right. Well, he uses it as a cudgel. I mean, uh, whether or not he built it to be this way, uh, he sees it as a feature, not a bug. Oh my god. Well, I, I, you but know, this no, is like, another... I mean, Dumbledore isn't out here in the world trying to get the demand. Like, Dumbledore is like, probably don't bring them to school. Like, none of these characters are, like, actually fighting in a serious way to, like, improve the parts of the quote-unquote light side. D- Dumbledore, I'm gonna say some things in Dumbledore's credit. Go for, for it. We're gonna, I'm gonna say some pro-Dumbledore things yeah, for once. defend him. Dumbledore appears to have limited political power in the wizarding world he's like respected he certainly has a faction but rita skeeter sees him as kind of batty and weird uh fudge takes him into account sees him as a rival uh maybe dumbledore's ideas about dementors are considered like pretty far outside the mainstream as prison abolition is in most sectors of american society right now that's seen like that scene is pretty radical yeah. maybe Dumbledore is seen as kind of radical but we don't know that that's yeah, what he believes about prison I mean that's like the idea like that's like her like retconning Dumbledore okay, being okay. gay so maybe but we do know these anti-dementor so maybe if Dumbledore 
maybe the reason Dumbledore chooses not to become Minister of Magic is, well, I guess, because he was associated with Grindelwald back in the day, so that kind of, like, rules him out. Um, but maybe another reason is that being anti-Dementor is seen as too far outside the mainstream. Well, and, like, I think if he... You're right, I think he's if, also he, if really pressed... Clo- he's also really pro-Muggleborn and pro-magical um, creature I think more he, than most. Yeah, I think probably if pressed, he would be pro-House of Liberation. Like, he hired a, ha- he hired a half-giant. He did, and he pays the only house elf who has ever wanted that in so, his... So maybe... No, yeah. I mean, Dumbledore is a true radical. Like, you're right. We don't give Dumbledore a lot of credit ever. Dumbledore is... Part of why Dumbledore is so shitty at running a school is because he's too busy being like, yeah, a genuine fucking radical. He's like running a shadow resistance movement against the dark arts because he knows the ministry can't be troubled to do... Right. Because he knows the ministry won't be effective. He's kind of a vigilante. He's sort of like Batman. He... (laughs) Dumbledore is sort of like Batman. He is sort of like Batman. No, you're right. He is, I mean, but with magic. But yeah, he's. I think a vigilante is a good way of thinking about him. That my problem with him is that he also insists on keeping the reins of this, like the day to day operations of the school. Like, turn it over to Minerva and McGonagall if you're going to be so unbothered with the safety of these yeah, children. But it gives him a power base and resources. I know. I know. Like, I get all of that. I just like it's at the expense of kids. Yeah. And if he was a real radical, like that would, like if he was in our world, that would matter. He would be at best an incredibly problematic figure as all of our great radicals have been because it's at really, really steep cost. Always. You know, radicalism is is pricey. And in this case, the price is the safety of, of children. I think he's one of our only true radicals in the books. I really like this development in the character of Barty Crouch Sr. because I think it depicts some interesting adult political realities in a way that, like, kids can start to kind of get an understanding of them. Like, she really does a good job describing, like, the salience of being tough on crime or, like, the demagoguery of, like, punishing bad guys. Right, and the politics of internment and the politics of deciding that that whole groups are other and dangerous. I mean, that's all in here. Right, right. And it's and it's all portrayed. I mean, the thing that I like is that it's portrayed as in service of what we have deemed good. So it's not like she's only portraying. Honestly, the death eaters are like more like guerrilla warfare. They're killing people, but they're not mass incarcerating anyone. You know, they probably do they do more damage when it comes to like sort of psychological torture and fear. But I would bet that Barty Crouch has damaged more lives than like, I don't know, his son. Yeah, but I think the corollary to that and which we see in Deathly Hallows is he's trying to stop the Death Eaters from taking over the ministry in Toto. And when they do, like, then everybody suffers. Like, yeah. Big time. No, I totally agree with you. Look, I'm. I'm certainly not a Death Eater apologist. I'm just no. I'm just saying, like, I think Barty Crouch's methods, I think we've seen over and over in our own society, these are ineffective methods. He's not good at this because he is too obsessed with the theater of tough on crime or the theater of, like, essentially, like, authoritarian strrongman this is interesting because it apparently wasn't working his policies well, because it thing. took fucking it, very, it took a baby to defeat well, Voldemort. Well, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, the thing about like the it's like the TSA kind of. It's like the theatrics of security make it really hard to do good security. All that shit. What's actually working is none of the security yeah. theater that we see. And so what Barty's doing is not as effective as what, like, the fucking Order of the Phoenix is doing. Right. And I guess we need our government to sort of, like, exist and make rules. But if it's Barty, then it's making things worse. I think Barty Crouch makes things worse. You know, I don't agree with what Barty did. Obviously, I do... I can understand how it happened, or at least with what we're given to understand about how the war was going very badly. You didn't know who was on which side i guess he probably suspended trials because there was fears of having imperialist judges i think he saw everything as being kind of like possibly tainted yeah, or like taintable you know because just there was so much 
confusion. And I, this is like what conflict and war does. It like brings everybody down to yeah, a really bad like a place. Level. Well, but I mean, also like I think part of the problem is they're already dealing in a system that doesn't deal well with this stuff. Like there's no lawyers. So all of the things that you would, like, need in order to, like, effectively, like, bring these people to trial, they just don't have. So, like, it's not all the way Barty's fault because the tools he has to work with are pretty, like, rough-hewn. Like, they don't really have a good system of law and order. Right. So it's a combination of his own individual bad actions and, like, the society he comes from. It's never, like, one or the other. No. He's a bad actor in a in a bad system. Party crouch, man. I know. So let's do a little bit of a palate cleanser. Let's talk briefly about Nifflers, who are so cute and just nice, and they like take fun little dips and dives into the earth to find gold. The legit 100% best part of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. I would have been cool with that being a 30-minute short about News Commander looking for his fucking Niffler. We didn't need any of this obscurous bullshit. Well, and another thing that's nice about this scene is like, we're going to pull back on some of our Hagrid criticism because this shows that he is capable of being a really good teacher. Yes, when forced to compete with a more capable woman. Well, I mean, my God. (laughs) Tale as old as goddamn time. He has to get his act together because he's forced to uh, fight for his job. Yeah, I think it's that, obviously. But I also think it's just that, like, he knows a lot and he's hindered more by his, like, really skewed sense of what people will find, like, interesting and worth learning than by his actual knowledge of magical creatures and ability to, like, design good lessons around ones that people actually want to learn about and care about. He's all, He was also totally sabotaged in year three by Draco also. Yeah, so, no, I know. Because the thing is, the hippogriff lesson could have been pretty good. Yeah, it, it started cool. out great, and then Draco just, like, broke the rules. So, whatever. I, the, the funny thing about, and this isn't just a Hagrid issue, it's, like, all their classes. He's just like, here's an Ithler. This is what it does. Do an activity. They don't learn about like Niffler biology. No, no like, they don't. Niffler they don't theory. learn like behavior. Really, they don't Doing learn any kind of husbandry. There's no scientific method here. Well, or there is method. in um, Grubbly Plank does it because she has them make sketches of whatever those weird little spiky guys yeah. are. You know what I mean? Those like spiky tree guys. The spiky tree. I don't. Um, I don't know. That's an, that's another thing that's well, in Fantastic Beasts. Anyway, so she yes, makes them. Nifflers. Yeah, fuck yeah, this spiky tree guys. And this was a good lesson. This was hands-on learning. Yeah, agreed. Another thing with the Nifflers is we get to see a little bit more of the inner workings of Ron's mind because he finds out that oh, the, the Nifflers have been like diving for leprechaun gold, uh, which disappoints some of the students. Because it disappears after an hour. So Ron realizes that he repaid Harry for the Omnioculars with Leprechaun Gold that just disappeared. And Harry never, like, sent him the Venmo request or whatever for the Omnioculars later. Must be nice, Ron said abruptly when they had sat down and started serving themselves roast beef and Yorkshire puddings. To have so much money you don't notice if a pocket full of galleons goes missing. Listen, I had other stuff on my mind that night said Harry impatiently. We all did, remember? I didn't know leprechaun gold vanishes, Ron muttered. I thought I was paying you back. You shouldn't have given me that chudley cannon hat for Christmas. Forget it, all right, said Harry. Ron speared a roast potato on the end of his fork, glaring at it. Then he said, I hate being poor. Harry and Hermione looked at each other. Neither of them really knew what to say. It's rubbish, said Ron, still glaring down at his potato. I don't blame Fred and George for trying to make some extra money. Wish I could. Wish I had a niffler. Ron has a pretty, like, understandable and accurate reaction when he's like, oh, wow, it must be really cool to be the kind of person for whom, like, thousands of dollars can just vanish overnight and you literally don't notice. Like, what the fuck, dude? Ron says, I hate being poor. That's such a sad moment. It is sad. And it like, every time I remember, I mean, I just think like I need to be more sensitive to Ron's character development because 
this colors a lot of how he acts and especially how he acts towards Harry because like that sort of mismatch in privilege is really real and Harry is super oblivious to it because Harry I mean it's like this like totally like perfect storm of intersectionality because Harry like has had a horrible horrible life and Ron has had probably like on balance like a less traumatic and like overall and more loving life but also like poverty is real as fuck even in the wizarding world and something that Harry is not having to experience. Well, it takes away I guess it, it takes away from your ability to do other kind of emotional work because you're always like making mental calculations yeah. like you're like low on the hierarchy like, yeah. of needs mm-hmm. well and it like it colors how ron interacts with the world because it does make him really defensive right and i think defensiveness is a lot of what gets between him and hermione or between him and harry and also like you can kind of tell that he's developed this like kind of caustic sense of humor as like a deflection mechanism and that's what gets him in trouble with Hermione a lot of the time and I usually agree with Hermione because Ron's being a dick but like it helps you understand why he developed the like defense mechanism of being a dick I have another one last thought about Nifflers one thing that's funny about Nifflers is how it plays into the British mania for metal detection oh my god you're right (laughs) this is like every middle-aged British man's like fantasy well that's painting the Brits with a very broad brush, but uh. it's true that we know. I don't. There's like even there's like a funny British television show about it called Detectorists. You're right. There is this like uniquely British hobby. I mean, like people do it here. Like beachcombers will like kind of, but here it's more. It's usually like. I think people who actually like kind of need to find stuff on the beach, and sometimes it's old people. But it seems like over there. Get in touch, UK listeners, and tell us if this is true. But it seems like it's more of just like a like a hobby, <laughs> like collecting, and that y'all are trying to find like fucking Roman coins and shit. Okay, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Hagrid for getting his shit together on his lessons and always believing in Harry. But then he gets all Brexit. And hates foreigners, so that's a demerit for Hagrid at the end. Yeah, but he believes in Harry in a way that is really endearing. He just, like, really thinks Harry's gonna win this thing. I do kind of like that he just, like, fucking takes it to Karkaroff. I do, too. Even he shouldn't have done that. No, I like that he's just... <laughs> well, because Karkaroff's, like, spitting at someone's feet is, like, very rude. Like, he was really rude. Hagrid has a very fine moment in these chapters, because he helps Hermione cope with all her hate mail. Oh, that's right. He does. He's just like, fuck the haters. Yeah. He's like the only person that provides any like actual advice. Hagrid is Hagrid is really good at giving emotional advice. The, you know, he's like... Hagrid is also one of the only characters who thinks to take care of Hermione as she's taking care of everyone else. Yes, he super is. He yeah. treats them all equally. He does. Yeah. He does. All right. and Props to Hagrid. Mine is Buckbeak. Um, actually, mine is the pair of Buckbeak and Snuffles the dog. <laughs> because I just like, I'm delighted by their adventures. I still want to see some kind of like buddy comedy. Padfoot and Beaky. Padfoot and Beaky about them. Buckbeak is just a really loyal companion to Sirius. And it seems like is has become really fond of him and defensive of him and takes really good animal care of him. Sirius clearly needs an emotional support animal and Buckbeak seems like a pretty solid choice and I like the idea of Sirius just romping around as a lovable stray. But also meanwhile Sirius is legit like starving to death. He's eating rats. Ew. But like even that's not a lot of like Do you think meat. Things that would taste better as a dog taste better when you're transformed into a dog yeah like, it's probably easier is, like palatable it's probably easier to eat rats as a dog mostly because i think it's less about the taste and more because you have the like the kind of tools the body parts necessary to like effectively like you can eat a rat we can't really do that as people you can't just like bite into it it's weird to imagine what an animal palate would even feel like. Because I don't, well, maybe they don't have one or like they have less of a sense of like taste. What to, any biologists out there, let us know what animals taste. I don't yeah. know. I've never thought about this, but now that I am, it's but like blowing my mind. My assumption is that he eats as a dog. Like he eats rats as a dog and he eats human food as a human and that there's like some difference in the experience. Weird. Another 
points to Buckbeak. He is just chill as fuck. The trio shows up. He hasn't seen them in a year. They helped free him. He's still like, bow. Bend yeah. the knee. That's not chill as fuck. He's like imperious. That's, dude, he just knows what he's about. That's he's true. He's like, you still got a bow. This is still a thing. Respect. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, that was a doozy. This week's episode is brought to you by Glad Rags Wizard Wear. You'll be glad that you got out of those old wizarding rags. Wow, I'm very glad that you didn't write their slogan for them. I could write ad copy. You super could. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's excellent performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please go subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and um, rate and review us if you get your podcast somewhere where that's possible. Apple Podcasts, it's a particular help because that's what most of you use. So we've gotten a lot of really kind ones in the last few days and we would love it if you would keep them coming. We would also, this is a new one this week, but we would love it if each of you would tell a friend who isn't yet listening to The Quibbler that you love it and you would like to share it with them. Because the best way so far that we have found new friends out there is by you telling the people that you care about to listen. So we love that. Keep doing it. You're just like making this family bigger. I'm sorry. This is so corny. But I, whatever. This is how I feel. You're all lovely and I'm sure your friends are lovely and please bring them into the fold. Quibbler fam. Yeah, hashtag Quibbler fam. Next week, we are reading two more chapters in Goblet of Fire. They are The Dream and The Pensive. So join us for that bullshit. Thanks, amigos. They're all like it said Hermione desperately, opening one letter after another. Harry Potter can do much better than the likes of you. You deserve to be boiled in frog spawn. Ouch! Boobotubers. Boobotubers. Undiluted Boobotuber pus, said Ron, picking up the envelope gingerly and sniffing it. It can do funny things to the skin when undiluted. Boobotuber pus. You'd better get up to the hospital wing. The what? Pus, Finnegan, pus. Ow! said Hermione, tears starting in her eyes as she tried to rub the pus off her hands with a napkin. But her fingers were now so thickly covered in painful sores that it looked as though she were wearing a pair of thick, knobbly gloves. Boob-boob-boob-boob-boob-tuba pus. Disgusting, but ugly satisfying. Your boobatuba pus. I drink it up. Oh, how ridiculous! What you done to your hands, Hermione? Hermione told him about the hate mail she had received that morning and the envelope full of boobotuba pus, boobotuba pus, boobotuba pus, and the envelope full of boobotuba pus. Like poor Eloise Midgen. Silly girl! But Madame Pomfrey fixed her nose back on in the end. I warned her. I warned her not to annoy Rita Skeeter. It could be worse. At least your fingers aren't full of pus.